Hi, Jeremy. Hello, Raphael. Still alive. Oh, yeah. I'm not yeah. going anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. A brief introduction that, uh, that a podcast might seem frivolous or might be helpful. Mm. Yeah. I you were going to say something like, if for our friends who are returning from Mars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Small update. (laughs) (laughs) Big part of me wishes there was a hibernation possibility. I was like, I'll just go to sleep for three months. I've been thinking about, I mean, we bring the Matrix up so nerd. It's such a nerdy thing to bring up. but We bring it up so much on the podcast. But I have craved a sort of like, uh, you know, being able to or maybe like a Ready Player One thing, like plug me into an alternate reality just for a brief, brief moment, please. Yeah. I could really use it. I've I've really found that... uh, if I focus on the day-to-day, <clears throat> like uh, doing groceries, maybe find a new recipe, cooking something, then you feel fine. And if you think about the long term, then you start imagining mm. the worst. And then uh, so maybe the podcast for me, I, I, I found it when I'm most stressed is, of course, when you watch the news. And yeah. then when I put on podcasts that are about anything but the problems, then uh, I just get through the day better. Yeah, I can. uh, Last week, I was in full panic mode. Like, I was panic buying. I was like, you know, like, I don't know, trying to shut down our offices and, you know, get everyone like safe. And, you know, I was like organizing meetings, task forces. (laughs) And this week, I was still doing some of that. But by the end of the week, I was like, okay, like, I think I can just, if I deal with this day to day, this is kind of fine. And then I was like, wait a second, this is just like, a hol- you know, like, um, it's not just like this, but if it was, you know, Christmas break or, or holiday break, I would routinely spend two weeks in, like, in actually quite comfortably <laughs> in yeah. isolation. But it, it's really a lot of the the way that you approach the time, or at least the way yeah, I was approaching and then the time. We're speaking from a privileged position, and uh, I know a lot yeah. of people really have to scramble to pay the rent and uh, figure out new ways of making money and etc but maybe it, it this is an exaggerated version of the difficulty i've always had with the podcast of talking about big issues versus just personal daily life and then yep. sort of feeling guilty about being able to talk about daily life but at the same time knowing that it helps me when others do that yeah i mean at the same time you know just sending out some some chill vibes as you've said before like i sent friends who run small businesses that are affected some notes like, Hey, how are you doing? Are you you okay? And, you know, it was great to hear back from them. Yeah. I'm going to, you know, it's going to be okay. Or, you know, I'm working through it. And, you know, so I think like just connecting with folks um, and yeah, talking, talking to them as if it's not the end of the world. (laughs) First step. (laughs) It it was funny. I I was in the Netherlands for production and I was going to do two panel talks that were canceled. Um, and I came back early to New York, but Christine and I were just sending each other these daily report emails of like, what did you do that day and some photos. And mm. somehow that, we talked on the phone as well, but somehow there's something very nice about someone just talking about what they did that day. So uh, hopefully for our listeners, maybe other listeners can send uh, messages to other people. And uh, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's not a bad idea. Um, yeah. But just, well, it, 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 it's, it's strange to describe it. Like, why would telling someone that you did the dishes and the laundry and then you went for a walk and you saw a bird and but somehow it's helpful you know it'd be kind of cool is that we used to do field recordings but it would be more of a like diary recording so like tell us about what you did yesterday yeah um that would be cool to include if anyone has you know wants to record a little diary like and I'm not talking about the diary that we're later going to splice into our disaster movie. <laughs> that it's like Blair Witch Project or something. But more just like, you know, how you're, you know, even if it was just like, hey, I took a moment to uh, clean out the house. That's what I'm doing right now, actually. Or rather, Kristen is taking a moment to uh, clear out our closets and do some spring cleaning that we always put off. And yeah. as a result, if I sound more nasally, it's because there's like a ton of dust when you do yeah. that. And yeah. uh, my allergies are going crazy. Anyway, that's a that's a boring example of a diary, but that's perfectly fine. I think. And then, <laughs> and then uh, like... we just talked about um, the idea of working from home. So anyone who has a profession that's uh, behind the screen is probably working from home now. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. that's an adjustment, especially people who live with roommates or children. That's kind of challenging. 
Um, well, I'm, but, I'm on like Zoom. I'm on Zoom eight hours a day, which yeah. is a lot. It's a lot yeah. of video conferencing. Yeah, Christina is basically... I don't understand why Zoom is better than Skype or any other. Oh, it's it's obvious. Like, first of all, Skype's peer-to-peer, and so there's a lot of connection drops. On oh, Zoom, Zoom doesn't really have that problem as much. Uh, I would say it's extremely rare. Like, you know, Although now the, their servers must be melting. Yeah, exactly. They, apparently, they saw this coming because they were tracking traffic in China. So they started doing extra preparations starting in January, knowing that the world is kind of scary, knowing that the world was going to be completely work from home uh, yeah, by this time. Yeah. So It's a wild experiment in that sense. How much is, can we get yeah. done from home? Yeah. And I think actually for our listeners, many of whom um, are part of our kind of artist networks, um, we... The, lap- as, the laptop warriors. Yeah, like, and a lot of folks who made work for the internet and were part of like kind of network culture movements over the last two or three decades. Um, what I've been encouraged by is that, you know, people seem to be re-energized and saying, hey, like, actually, you know, network art is relevant, um, not only relevant, but needed. Yeah. Um, and so a lot of my calls, I don't know if you've had these calls as an artist, but like after this podcast, I'm going to chat with some folks abroad and yesterday I had some calls, but we're all about like, how can we continue to make art in this way? And I'm like, well, that's the only way I know how, you know, so, uh, <laughs> I, I think it's, <laughs> it's a little bit like, welcome to my world. But it, yeah. it, it, one of the things that's funny is that uh, Christina works in an office and I work from home and then being at home by myself a lot, at some point it gets old, like you're alone a lot. And, and, and I think people are experiencing that now with, Christina mm-hmm. will go to work and be like, oh, but you can just hang out at home all day and play music and, and make food and whatever. And <laughs> after a while, it gets to you if it's too much. And you have a routine, though, too, of like what, of going and meeting a friend for lunch or something like that. Yeah, that things funny. like, which is hard now. But, you uh, can't do that now, yeah. And, but now Christina's home, so we have lunch together. But, okay. but what I'm saying is that the, a lot of people think basically the artist life is so great because you just in control mm. of your own time and you don't have to deal with people and but the, there is a level of isolation that it's not for everyone mm-hmm. and you like uh, yeah i mean i could i can imagine because i'm i'm kind of going through it even though i'm on zoom it's not really the same i went for a, a walk with a friend in the neighborhood i stood i stood six feet away um, yeah. yeah from them but like um that was actually really re-energizing like i was like why am i so tired and like you know, what's wrong with me? And I didn't realize, you know, you don't realize that social um, kind of, I guess, just like being out with people does for a certain type of personality, maybe not if you're, you know, introverted. Most most humans uh, have to see someone. And so I've always built in these weird routines that maybe now are not not, uh, useful, but I I would go to a grocery store way further just to have a daily walk in between and Mm-hmm. Uh, you just build in these inefficiencies of doing things, so just so you're out of the house. But yeah, that's not what we're going through right now. But of course, some people aren't even allowed out. But um, if you are, I encourage you to take a walk. I took a hour and a half long walk yesterday through different parks, and I'm lucky to be near parks. Actually, everything I say, I'm always like, it's, I'm so lucky. <laughs> um, but I can walk along the water and and you know up through various parks. We're just surrounded by parks where Kristen yeah. and I live, so and and that then, was really good. I think if you want to do a good deed, uh, write letters to the elderly because they're the most isolated. And I, mm. I, I just really noticed that uh, a personal letter. It, I, I don't think it has to be on paper, but maybe. But just yeah. reading something from someone is uh, very meaningful. It's so funny too because like I've been spending way more time with my parents um, and calling on, them on a video. Lot more. Um, well, I saw them a bunch in person leading through this almost by coincidence, but then, I just, yeah, I've just been calling them a lot more having, obviously, you know, you, they're, they're starting to worry. At first I was worried they weren't worried and I'm sure our listeners, this is like, yeah, that's common. they're kind of like yeah. overconfident baby boomers yeah. and <laughs> nothing ever like, happens to me. <laughs> I survived the war. <laughs> um, so yeah, but now they, they've actually gone <clears throat> up to a, the, a country place that they have and they're kind of hunkering down there. Yeah. Um, but it's actually a good segue into what we wanted to do today, <clears throat> because 
one of the reasons I saw them is I, I set them up with like broadband internet for the first time in uh they had like canceled all my mom is a yeah weird, i remember you talking about that yeah. yeah so so anyway they got their first netflix experience i i like put a fire stick in one in a tv and and this happened to happen at the exact time that their satellite service provider like their satellite tv provider that it stopped working like one of the boxes that they had in their home so then they were they were completely forced if they wanted to entertain themselves at all at home to use streaming services which it was almost like a perfect storm experiment like what would happen today if you gave um you know someone who'd never experienced the streaming era a box uh and mm. let them go wild yeah and we today we wanted to talk a little bit about um you know our our favorite shows or you know if you're at home alone well, you're it, probably it, yeah, looking I think, at, I think, at Netflix uh, and stuff the, the the format of the podcast the, the last few episodes was movie reviews And then I thought this episode, uh, we could sort of just go through our favorites and not so, just go through Netflix and HBO and Disney and uh, just recommend some things that we like and not not go in a deep analysis of each one. Yeah, don't forget Prime. And and for those oh, yeah. that don't know, Raf yeah. is the executive producer of this podcast, so <laughs> whatever he says goes. Um, but anyway, yeah, so uh, I think probably people are spending more time like scrolling through these streaming services looking for something to watch anything yeah, yeah. and there might be um, things in there that we know highlights that wouldn't stand out otherwise so maybe that's helpful yeah and i want to try and i want to try and um tell a story at the same time uh, as we go through these so i don't know how you want to do it like top 10 list or or what but as i was like looking through um the world's most popular shows yeah um it was really interesting because country by country there's almost no um there's almost no like uh parallel like no country is the same as any other country so oh. as we're talking through this you're in the united states i'm in canada the top show is not even the same and um yeah you know yeah. so almost every country well, has a different top show i i don't watch a lot of shows i'm mostly comedies but i'm more of a movie person yeah. so my recommendation will more be on the movie side okay well i'm gonna <clears throat> i'm gonna say like i'm more of a reality person so i don't read a lot of fiction but i read a lot of non-fiction And strangely, in my streaming habits, I tend towards nonfiction as well. Um, mm -hmm. And so, I don't know. Let's just get straight into it. Like, I would say my top, 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 top streaming thing, if the, if it was on right now, I would be most excited by, um, if there was a new se season, would be on Netflix. And it would be um, a new season of Chef's Table. Oh, yeah. Have you seen this show? Is that with the Gordon Ramsay? <laughs> No, <laughs> this is great. It's already working. <laughs> so if you haven't seen it, um, the director, uh, <laughs> the director is uh, the, and producer of this show, uh, yeah. which is a cook. It's a it's a show that profiles different chefs all over the world, and the director uh, is David Gelb, who you probably know um, best from uh, his early earlier documentary work, and specifically uh, Hero Dreams of Sushi which came out in 2011. Ah, uh, yeah, that was great. So after Euro Dreams of Sushi, which is like widely acclaimed as like, you know, this like incredible food documentary, he he wanted to expand um, that idea into a, a television series. And uh, and he, he came up with this idea of Chef's Table and he profiles different restaurants, but also mostly the chefs behind these restaurants and also like just the behind the scenes, like everything that goes in mentally and psychologically into running a restaurant but the main thing is the aesthetic you know from your dreams of sushi of like the very close-up slow motion like and the soy sauce personalities just, yeah exactly that come that is alive in every single episode and he weaves interweaves like the social sociology of like yeah of cooking and the and the neighborhoods and the chefs and and food is such a great way to tell stories already like it's how we you know gather as humans I, so. yeah i think i was watching this david chang you see the guy from momofuku and he has a yes a yes a show on uh, and then i ugly was so, delicious yeah ugly and delicious. then i was That's so great. turned off by by <laughs> netflix food shows that i was like never again but i'll try this one but okay I, one of the, my pet peeves is that all the the food shows are just uh, excuses to eat unhealthy stuff that is so like fancy fried chicken or fancy pizza or and 
No, no, no. That's yeah. not what this show's about. And, okay. and actually, it's funny that you didn't like. I wonder if you were watching uh, David Chang's Ugly Delicious or Mind of a Chef. But I was watching ug- one where it was like uh, one episode was about fried chicken, and the next one was about pizza, and then. He would go to Domino's, but also yeah, to yeah. a really cool that, one in Brooklyn, and then they would go to Naples. And That's yeah. the first season of Ugly Delicious. And the second season, which just came out, um, is better. Um, it gets more into, like, a little a little bit more into, um, not less the food and more the psychology of running a restaurant. Like, if okay. you're a parent, how do you raise your kids and run a restaurant and stuff like that. So it's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, anyway. Yeah. So I like any kind of cooking stuff that's in that vein. I've but been comp- watching a lot of cooking stuff on YouTube, but it, I like this uh, Japanese woman who cooks. It's, it's called Cooking with Dog. Oh, yeah. That's, said, said, is that still on? Like, that's been like 10 years of that. Is it? Yeah, like- her dog died. So she doesn't cook dishes with dogs in it. Don't worry. Uh, <laughs> but she ha- she has, she used to have a poodle on the yeah. kitchen counter that would not bite at the food. A very uh, disciplined uh, dog, I guess. Uh, at some point he died and now he's an animated character Um, but she cooks kind of approachable Japanese home style I I seem I think uh, not to sound Asian seems to they've understood to make food that's healthy and delicious together so there's this saying in the west like never trust a skinny chef or something like that Mm -hmm. and it's supposed to be like if you really love food you should be obese uh, and somehow in Japan they make my favorite food and they look pretty healthy. So, the people who says that, that I've never I never heard that. Never trust a skinny chef. Well, I don't know. That's what the, I've heard that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, anyway, on um, it's uh, well, I will trust. I, I regardless. <laughs> Let's not. Have, have you have you tried any of her recipes? The cooking with dog. Uh, no, no. I watched it almost like satire when it first came out, and I didn't realize it's. I didn't realize it's really a serious cooking show. Oh, it's great, yeah. If you, like, for example, she makes this oyakodon. If you look that up, if you make it at home, it's uh, quite easy and very delicious. Mm, okay, I yeah. will. I will. I will look that up. Yeah. So I guess YouTube counts as one of the the sources for our streaming yeah. uh, entertainment recap. But I, I thought we should start with Netflix because that's the one most people have. Yeah, I think uh, most people have Netflix followed by probably Prime, um, though people forget they have Prime, I think. <laughs> yeah. Prime has great movies in, in, and a lot of cult movies that I know. you can watch for I know. free. Yeah. I know, I know. And they and they have had actually more hit shows than Netflix uh, from a award standpoint. Yeah. Like stuff like Miss Maisel and uh, Fleabag, um, yeah. all of those shows. So sh- but, should we just take turns? You recommend one thing and then... Yeah, yeah, fl- flip it on me. I got, I've got to like extend, you know, like through Chef's Table, I can take you to some other places. But yeah, take, yeah. take. Where were you going to start? Well, uh, Netflix has a couple of movies by Paul Thomas Anderson. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's the director who made There Will Be Blood and uh, Oh right, yeah. Uh, what's his most? He's kind of like the less famous Tarantino and the more <laughs> more nuanced, I would say. Less famous Tarantino, maybe like yeah, the less obnoxious Tarantino. Yeah, like but but you know how Tarantino's movies, you, you always know when there's a new one. And then yeah. I don't know how many people, the average person knew that Phantom Thread came out and that that was the last uh, movie. Or, but yeah. uh, There Will Be Blood is on Netflix. And I think it's one of my favorite movies of all time. Uh, famously, the, the beginning, there's no dialogue or music. I think the first 15 minutes, it's uh, just the actor Daniel Day-Lewis. It's... it's uh, He's he's, I mean, uh, yeah. he's an oil miner. What do you call that? Yeah, I think like an yeah, like like an oil the, person, like trying to, <laughs> trying yeah, to exactly. find oil back in the day. And he, you don't want to say oil man because there could be oil women as well. But gener- but yeah, like he's an oil era, tycoon, oil tycoon. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but he he's struggling in the beginning, so he's he's stuck underground, and there's only the sound of his breathing basically, and it's dark. And, it's a beautiful uh, film. Yeah. Yeah. And then the the master is also there, which is, oh yeah, is a Great. movie sort Philip of Seymour about Hoffman. Philip Seymour Hoffman sort of being a Scientology. He's an author who starts a cult it, it, close to the guy. It's one of my it favorite films. Hubbard? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, it, it, I I was I wasn't aware of Paul Thomas Anderson because his name is is not as catchy as Tarantino. So I'd seen mm-hmm. a bunch of his movies, not even knowing it was the same person. Those are, and they're all ex. I I'm, I agree. I didn't realize that those were all the same director either. And those yeah. are all excellent films. Phantom well, then Thread as well. Then there's Magnolia. It's also oh, on yeah. Netflix. He made that. And I don't think Inherent Vice is on 
Netflix, but if you can find it somewhere on the streaming services or rent it, uh, it's with um, Joaquin Phoenix. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sorry, I'm blanking a bit. But uh, it, okay. it, it's a postmodern novel that he made a movie of, and then it, it's a detective story. And in a weird way, you're trying to follow the story, and everybody's so high and so stoned. And so in a normal uh, movies about drugs are like a third person view, but this is a you're in it and you, it mm -hmm. feels like you're on drugs and you can't follow the story. You're like, wait, why did he walk into that? Wait, what was his name? Mm. And it was a movie that I watched at home and I turned it off after 15 minutes. I was like, this is stupid. And then I finally saw it in the theater and you're just stuck in the theater. But so that's a movie for if if you want something challenging, uh, which you might not want right now. But if you enjoyed Mandy, you'll enjoy that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it's it's not as gory or violent, but it's just very okay. fuzzy, I would say, and it, it's a very special movie. But since we're talking about movies you can watch if you have Netflix, then Magnolia and There Will Be Blood and The Master are all excellent. So it's interesting you went this way because, like, as I was doing this, I kind of self-imposed a rule that, like, the whatever I recommended had to be um, produced by the streaming company. And I and I oh, think it's like, okay. no, but it's okay. I, I, we both take different threads. But the reason yeah. I thought that might be interesting to discuss is, like, obviously all of these streaming services emerged and they've completely, like, transformed the, like, filmmaking and television-making landscape. You know, in, in many cases for television anyway, people have referred to it as, like, the golden age of television. And, and the reason being that television shows no longer have to follow this... 20 minute format and so part of the argument i wanted to make on today's podcast also was just that like you said you're distinguishing between movies and television but i think streaming makes that distinction a little less relevant and specifically streaming that's produced by um by the by the the software companies that have uh, put these streaming services out into the world it's a little less um reflective in newer entrants like disney and hbo um yeah because they're they I mean they've always done kind of well HBO actually is a perfect example of television that was trying to be like the movies right um, and yeah. so like you, know, you mean like of, Sopranos that started that era yeah yeah and so on Netflix you have got shows like Narcos right or Mind Hunter or Ozarks like these like deeply yeah. moody shows and even HBO is trying to follow is, that there is a, a darker side to it uh, that they have all this data on when people get bored and when yeah. they switch to another thing. And so there's an algorithmic incentive where they, they start to like, oh, we know the tricks to yeah. keep you hooked. <laughs> and uh, one of the things people, this comedian, Jim Gaffigan, you can also find him on the multiple, he's very funny, but uh, he talked about being addicted to the binging. And when you're like, it's 2 a.m. and you're like, I should go to bed. He's like, okay, just one more season. Mm-hmm. Not one episode, like you watch another whole season. Yeah. And you're just, it, it, this it, binge watching thing, right? Yeah, and, and so there's something uh, to me, in the same way clickbait is, is a, has a dark motive, that TV shows have a dark motive that I find different in movies, but maybe it's all the same, I don't know. I mean, I've personally crossed this line to where after 9.30 p.m., it's like a non-starter. I'm basically, <laughs> any show will just put me to sleep, and so uh -huh. I, can't, I can't binge watch into the night. Well, that's but, a Matrix feeling, right? Like uh, you're just in this pod, and then it's yeah, just, uh, yeah, exactly. But I can do like if an if I had like a day off or an afternoon off or something like that, I I can I've definitely done like next episode, next episode. Like I've watched, you know, Queer Eye is an example, is now on Netflix, and I would watch the whole season. Or mm. similarly, you know, Chef's Table, if a new one came out, I'd watch yeah. the whole season together all at once because yeah. it's just. You know, you want to you gobble it up if you really like it, and it, it, you're right about this taste thing being tailored to the individual. The thing that I think we didn't expect is, you know, the, it all started with House of Cards, and you know, obviously that's a no go at, <laughs> at these days. But um, you know, like the algorithm said, you know, people who like dark and moody mysteries and like Kevin Spacey, you know, will enjoy you know this combo together. And but the thing is that that's emerged over the last 10 years is it's actually not that at all right there it's similar to the internet where there it's more about niches and so a friend of mine works at netflix um and his specific role there is to develop uh, software to enable um more productions to get made every year and so mm. 
actually they've they've turned <laughs> yeah. from like figuring out the perfect thing to make to figuring out how to make more like thousands of things yeah to, like yeah. almost like the so, world's so, largest a b but then test. they become like youtube almost yeah yeah they're they're more like youtube in terms of so they have at any one time his job is to take them from four thousand to four hundred thousand productions <laughs> in, like and one of the things i was thinking about when i was you know talking to him about this is like is are we getting are we are we verging toward maybe the golden era of television was just this brief moment and it's now going to be more like the tailored era of television yeah like but television but designed for you a big thing why i was um so i felt conflicted about the podcast because i didn't want to talk about big issues yeah and then uh, i started seeing a lot of interesting movies so it is a weird there's a marketing slogan golden age of television if you ask me mm-hmm. this maybe three good TV shows from that era and most of it is just whatever but there's really good movies being made lately so I, I'm I'm hopeful okay. for, you mean like it, like I could see the next movie by Bong Joon-ho being produced by Netflix because they carry a lot of his catalog uh, and well, I think yeah, yeah. they produced Okja so um, they did they did and, Okja and, is and a Netflix film I, yeah. I still I think I was raised with this hierarchy of content and that like maybe novels are the highest form of narrative and then movies and then tv shows and then and then it gets down to reality tv and mm-hmm. you know other people might feel different but um i think a lot of good movies are being made even in the golden age of television outside of the streaming uh, situation or do you think that it's more like the you know because every all of these streaming companies they think of we'll t- we'll take bigger risks because you know we can serve we can figure out where that to place that film you know according to the niche or at least that's the perception they give but also we can cancel a show if it's not working faster and cut our losses like i think a lot of people who might have watched bojack horseman on netflix which is actually one of their most popular shows it's too i actually liked it at first but they produced too many seasons like there's like 25 seasons of the thing or actually yeah. i think we're now in season 12 b or something like that like they've gotten yeah, yeah, yeah. it's like 12 a b c anyway so there, there's, there's a, too the, much of that but there was a show ep- called oh no it just reminded me of an episode yeah. of uh, south park where cartman wants to get a show on netflix and netflix has this call center where all they do is answer Hello? Yeah, we'll produce it. And then they hang up. And like any idea, right. you pitch a show. And there's like a call center with 40 people just answering the phone. Okay, we'll send you a million bucks. Make the show. Yeah, well, there was another show. The, the one that I wanted to mention was there was another show like BoJack Horseman, which was like something and Birdie. Uh, I, I feel stupid that I'm forgetting. What about uh, that show with the uh, Kroll about teenagers with Nick Kroll? Um, about teenagers? The Shame Monster. Big Mouth. Oh, Big Mouth. Yeah, that's also another yeah, hugely um, hugely popular. So there's weird animated stuff. I guess the point I wanted to make was there's more experimentation and there's some weird stuff that you can you can watch that normally wouldn't get onto regular television. One of the most popular shows on Netflix right now, that, which Kristen continues to urge me to watch, is um, Sex Education. Though I'm not certain it, it's not it wasn't produced by Netflix, but it was definitely. Um, popularized uh, mm. by Netflix and so and but honestly it's about teenagers talk and one of the teenagers his mom's a sex therapist and it's it's a really inclusive um, show about what it is to be a teenager and think about sex now I can't imagine that be on NBC <laughs> yeah you know next week right but yeah. the fact of the matter is it can exist um, in in an era of streaming you know similarly I think like there's yeah there's just all kinds of a weird shows and like getting back to my parents so what was the first show that got them hooked um you know and it was really interesting because my my parents um saw one episode at my like sister's house or something and my dad's british so maybe this is like <laughs> you know the thing but it was just interesting to see them get excited about something and specifically they were excited about this show called the crown have you seen it no, it's no. about Queen Elizabeth. Yeah, exactly. I wouldn't expect you to watch that, <laughs> uh, but it's so well produced, and so it, 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 that like they were just like draw. They're like, how can this this exist? That was like kind of their yeah. reaction. Like, yeah. how could something of this quality exist not as a film but as a television series? And like that it, many episodes. Yeah. Yeah, and then it the, used the same to be thing like you would have other. Jaws part one, part two, part three, and as the the sequels <laughs> yeah. got older, if, as you got further into the sequels, they got worse. Like Jaws 5 was probably, or, you know, Rocky had seven movies or something. And 
Yeah. 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 I mean, I don't. Yeah. I but mean, but yeah. I, I, I still think that uh, all these things compared to the quality of something like The Master or There Will Be Blood, I, I, mm-hmm. I don't think it comes close. I think my argument, though, is like they will take like they would take the concept of There Will Be Blood and they'd make that a television series. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. But if, uh, if you if you see There Will Be Blood with good sound and uh, you're really in it, I, I still th- I don't know. I guess I really like Twin Peaks, but but uh, here's the contrast I just want to draw, which is my parents went up north and up there they just still have the satellite, so they like they had this internet thing for a while. I talked to my dad yesterday; it was so funny because he was like, "Jeremy, it's ridiculous. I'm on the satellite. There's nothing to watch anymore." (laughs) (laughs) He's like, "It all is so terrible." Yeah, like how could we get the internet television? Yeah, yeah, because <laughs> you know, it's, it's like seven minutes of TV and 12 minutes of commercials. Yeah, he, exactly. So he, he would he had like stepped into this other world and then the step back for him was this like shocking thing. Yeah. And, and it I, is good I, I if, recently, if you yeah. can share passwords with a bunch of people, then if everybody subscribes to one and then uh, you share it, then it's, it, it's pretty doable. Now that said, like I think still one of the the shows that people fight about the most because a lot of what's on streaming services is back catalog stuff is like Friends, right? I think Friends still oh, yeah. now it's on is, Hulu or something, right? And and I think it was a very expensive purchase and yep. because Netflix used to have it. And by the way, the number one country that watches Friends on Netflix when it was on Netflix, can you guess which country it was? China. Well, that's an interesting choice. It's India. Yeah. So oh, like. Okay. In India, more people watch Friends than anywhere else. Because uh, the they don't have the big firewall, so they can have Netflix. Yeah. Well, also probably because they didn't see it in the 1990s or something like that, right? Friends um, was funny because it was always this lifestyle that didn't exist. These people with great big apartments in New York, and then I think now yeah. you have shows like Broad City that show more real life in New York. Well, the reason I also bring it up is like Kristen and I got Disney Plus, um, and we only got it so that we could watch The Simpsons back catalog. Um, mm. Yeah. And there was like a good three weeks. There was where a controversy was where they Simpsons. they changed the aspect ratio, and people were upset that some things were cropped on The Simpsons. Yeah, because it was produced for a four by three aspect yeah. ratio, but then they they yeah. to present it on sixty nine, they like cropped and zoomed. So yeah. It's not great. So some of the jokes get cropped out and stuff. But generally, like, it's like Steve Martin said, like, um, when he stopped stand up, people no longer go to see you to, um, to like, get new material. They just want to feel they would just want to relive the moment they first discovered you. Right. And so it was kind of nice just to relive. That's kind of what YouTube is for me, because I, I went to so many punk and metal shows as a kid, and I don't do that as much anymore. And who knows if that will ever happen again. And mm. so YouTube is like, oh, I saw these, but this band live, and this, and obviously the experience is not great just watching a band on YouTube. But uh, yeah, yeah. So, so you still watch quite a lot of? Do you do? A lot, is your YouTube habit like subscription or is it search? It's search, yeah. Mm, and and then recommendations. I, 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 what I do is uh, go through it and add a lot of stuff to the watch later queue, and then watch a bunch of stuff on the TV. After. But this is the thing I was going to ask you. Do you actually have a TV? I visited your house. I don't remember no, being a TV. We, and... we gave in, yeah. Oh, you yeah. did? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so now you have a 12-foot experience. And before, what was it like? Just laptop kind of behavior? Yeah, and then a lot of movie theater. But uh, I think mm-hmm. that's going to change. <laughs> okay. So like, <laughs> productivity takes a nosedive. Yeah. I've always thought that people that watch television on their laptops, I can't decide whether they're more productive or less productive. Because imagine if I told you in 1950, you're going to watch television on your typewriter. You'd be, yeah. <laughs> you'd be like, what? Productivity is going to take a huge nosedive. Yeah. No, <laughs> it, it, it's, it's, uh, that's another working from home thing. Like at the office, there's people around you. So you can't just go like, you know what? They're going to have my lunch and watch an episode of Big Mouth. And when you work from home, you can do that, but then you get into this weird zone where everything blends in together. Yeah. Yeah. But here's a question for you, and we can get back to your recommendations, but I'm just like so interested in just the general format, um, which is, you know, do do you ever crave seeing something live, especially right now? Like, do you need to see, you know, we're talking about things that are packaged. With stand-up comedy, uh, there's... I think there was an explosion of stand-up specials. It used to be a very special mm-hmm. thing. Only Eddie Murphy and Steve Martin would have an HBO special. And, yeah. you know, you, you would have to sell out a stadium. And now they've recorded so many of them. And a lot of them are not that funny, but 
I go to stand-up nights where you see five people on a that are not famous, and it somehow live it's much funnier. But didn't like Netflix buy like the next ten Chappelle specials or something like that? Yeah, like, yeah, no, but I mean Chappelle is fine. He's like a, it, 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 that comes through. But there's a lot of younger mm-hmm. comedians that are just beginning, and that doesn't come through when you record it. It's really different. <clears throat> Oh, okay, but there are some really innovative ones. Um, I mean, it, one... you 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 famously you do a lot of performance, and you decide not to record those because it doesn't translate. Um, yeah, no, it's true. Uh, like it, a recording is very different. But there is one I wanted to mention on HBO. People are HBO Go subscribers, and it's like it's called My Favorite Shapes. Have you have you seen that one? No. I'm typing it in. If you can hear yeah, me, uh, we're gonna. I hear a lot of typing today. No, no, it's it's yeah, exactly. Because well, it's by Ju- this guy Julio Torres, and it's like a he's like a Lat- Latinx uh, comedian. Yeah. B, if you watch this, it's basically if I was given a budget. What's the name? <laughs> it's called My Favorite Shapes. My and it's favorite. and it's present. He sit. He, it's based off of his a live comedy like kind of off Broadway thing. He okay. did similar to how Pee Wee's Playhouse started the same yeah, way. Yeah. Yeah. And basically, there are just different shapes that scroll by on a conveyor belt. He's wearing like a white turtleneck and spacesuit, and that's why, you, like, you'll see and you'll be like, "What is this?" Like the Latinx version of Jeremy. And he talks about his favorite shapes, like, and it starts out with actual shapes, like square, rectangle, oh, triangle, cool. and he makes comedy about it. It's actually probably one of the best comedy specials uh, I saw in the last uh, twelve months. And Pee Wee has a next Netflix movie. Yes, and you know it's so funny because I'm a huge Paul Rubens fan, like as a child. But I could not finish watching the Netflix film, and I cannot no. recommend it. I cannot recommend it on this, this show. This is a point I wanted to make about Netflix. Is that uh, I have a habit if if people, if I meet people, I ask them about their favorite restaurants and their favorite movies, and I write them down. And uh, yeah, uh, I'll, I'll make a note of a restaurant in Yelp, and then if I'm in the neighborhood, I'll try it. And with movies, I write them down and. Most of the time, their favorite movies are not on the streaming services, so you have to rent it. So, it's, mm-hmm. and it's not that much money, you know, it's three bucks. But then, even though it's but you're already f- spending like a hundred dollars on streaming services. Yeah, and so you're <laughs> you're you're like, oh, I got two hours, let's watch something. Yeah. And then you look at your list and like, oh, these movies. Uh, someone has uh, some Ingmar Bergman movie that is absolutely unbelievable. But then, mm-hmm. you're like, ah. Uh, Pee-wee's Big Holiday is on Netflix and it's free. Do, I guess I'll try it. And then you, you watch think, you watch twenty minutes. You're like, oh, this is crap. And then you watch <laughs> twenty minutes. And, yeah. Yeah. I mean, in the past, maybe you would just like if you had gone to the video store, you'd be like, I'm committed to watching this terrible film. <laughs> yeah, I spent the money. Yeah. Um, but I, do you think the same problem exists on Spotify? You know, because you know all you you know you get this impression all the world's music there, but when I music's there, but then when I talk to like real music snobs, they're like, "What are you talking about, you idiot?" Like, uh, yeah, you got it. No, you know, the you best gotta... music is on Bandcamp. If you want new right. music, yeah, right. Because a lot Camp... of a lot of young musicians uh, on Bandcamp, they get a much bigger cut. So if you're an experimental musician and you share the music on Bandcamp, then uh, you're better yeah. off. And Bandcamp, I didn't realize, like, had really emerged as this, like, um, yeah, from an economic standpoint. Like, they, you, you can still buy an album on Bandcamp, right? Yeah, just, they, they had a, what do you call it, a, a promotion or, a, not a promotion, but a, to help people, musicians because they're really in a tough spot right now. So they waived all their own fees. So if you buy something on Bandcamp now, all, all the revenue goes to the musician. I do think that was one day only, maybe though, on like yeah. Friday or something like that. Yeah. I hope they do it again because that was it was kind of great to see that that was happening. Yeah. So you want to um, do the next recommendation? Okay. W- w- yeah. Next recommendation. So the next recommendation I have is related to the times we're in and w- the way we kick things off. So a lot of stuff that um, gets pulled into streaming services is actually stuff that was just made popular in other countries and we didn't have access to. And of course, we all know Black Mirror, right? Like that's like um, kind of a nerd catnip um, show. And if any listener has not seen Black Mirror, I'd be shocked. I think it's probably I haven't seen it. What? What? It sounds too depressing. I don't want to watch it. Okay, well, then you're definitely going to hate this next recommendation. No, but I I really just as a disclosure, I really hardly watch serial uh, shows like it just I think the only one I watched was Breaking Bad. But, yeah. Okay, but there's one episode of Black Mirror everyone has to watch. Uh, I can't remember the title of the episode, but it's about two um, 
two old lesbian women, but they're not lesbian. They're like, they're living in senior citizens' homes, but they have a love affair um, in virtual reality on a server as like um, 20-somethings in Miami. And so they, you would love this episode, Raphael. And it's one of their more hopeful episodes. Okay, so, so we'll, we'll put it in the show notes. Yeah, we'll put that episode in the show notes. It's by far like, it's like probably of all the shows in the last, you know, like in the whole Black Mirror canon and then in that particular show is probably one of the best shows ever made. Okay. And I think like widely recognized. That's what I'm yeah. going to say. I'm putting it out there. But there's another show um, inspired by Black Mirror, but I think that it is actually better and stronger because Black Mirror is verged into the cheesy uh, with its like, and it's so over-reliant on augmented reality as like a prop for like, what is real, um, you know, and in the Twilight Zone sense of the the word. Um, and so there's a show that um, I think was produced by BBC and it's available on HBO. Um, if you have one of the various HBO um, streaming apps, not everyone, by the way, has access to HBO all over the world. Raph, so no, I think that. I think that's one of the privileged ones. Yeah, here in Canada, it's called Crave. It's on something called Crave. Um, yeah. But Crave carries HBO shows and Showtime and stuff. Yeah, yeah. But the, sh- the show I want to mention is called Years and Years. Have you heard of the show? No. Okay, so Years and Years. Actually, another show came courtesy of my uh, partner, Kristen, who's constantly uh, <laughs> scraping the British catalog. And then when it appeared on HBO, I, I watched it. Is really about, it's this idea that um, what it basically takes the premise of following a family as um, and it, it's like in the near future in that it starts in kind of just ahead of present day and then it fast forwards two, three, four, five years at a time for each episode. So you get to see how things evolve in this family. Now, it, it, it just so happens also that um, the way it starts out is with like a Trump-like president that's elected. Oops. And then very, yeah, exactly. And then it gets very political. So you would, that's why I said you would not like this, but maybe you would because... It's very realistic in its projection. I don't and think project- that's the thing you want to watch right now. <laughs> it kind of projects like 10 or, 10 or 15 years into the future. Yeah, exactly. This would be like the opposite of what would calm you down. But if you're really into the aesthetic of like how do dystopias develop over time yeah. versus yeah. just dropping into a dystopia, it's it's also got all this kind of <laughs> just, sci-fi stuff. You want a dystopia, just look out the door. <laughs> it's, it's like it's like a yeah, frog in boiling news. water. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, it's called Years and Years. It's incredible. Um, it's probably, I would say, one of my the top shows, again, uh, that I saw last yeah. year. And so I'm trying to, you know, it, and again, it would be, it's more cinematic. It's got a great cast, um, people you'd recognize. Um, not like as A grade, but B grade kind of folks. And, yeah. Um, anyway, I highly recommend that. And it's, okay. sci- it's sci-fi, but with like a more present day feeling. Um, and it, it there is some hope built into it. I'll, I'll leave it at that. There's like a revolutionary hope built into the show. And then uh, I wanted to do a few uh, stand-up comedy recommendations on Netflix. Okay. Um, oh, yeah, right. We, we jumped right through that, that hoop. I think uh, first one, I was surprised that uh, Ali Wong was really funny, even though mm. a lot of it is about things that are not in my life. So her, her topics are about having a baby and the actual delivery of the baby and that kind of thing. But she's, I don't know, it's funny. And then uh, Anthony Jeselnik is maybe more what you would expect from me. He's just very offensive. He tries to make mm. jokes that are as hurtful as possible. Um, That's not you. <laughs> and then <laughs> Ronnie Chang. Did you see mm-hmm. him? No, I haven't. I he, haven't. I don't watch as much comedy as you oh, do, I think. I he, think I, he's from I, The Daily like Show, but uh, he has a whole bit uh, on, on The Daily Show, America, you're doing it wrong. And he just has examples of American policy and how other countries do that better. And then his comedy is a bit about him coming to the U.S. and actually like appreciating it more than people that grow up in the U.S. and how uh, it, it's a bit about the immigrant experience. Mm, that sounds yeah. good. And then, uh, do you know Todd Berry? Yeah, you love Todd Berry. You're always like sending me YouTube links of Todd Berry. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> very deadpan uh, observations and uh, sort of like a hardcore version of uh, Seinfeld, I guess. Even well, that reminds me that. Comedians and Cars uh, Getting Coffee is a Netflix show now, right? It started out on, what was that? Crackle? Channel? Crackle. <laughs> yeah. it, started, it started out on Crackle, <laughs> which is like Sony's like defunct TV service. And then uh, Netflix picked it up. But it's like one of my favorite shows. 
And I think right now it's a really nice show because it's just people hanging out at a coffee shop and that's all we want to do. Like, oh, but honestly, I think it, we've talked about it being the inspiration of this show at one point or, or it's like somewhat an inspiration, which yeah. is just two people talking about their profession. And in this case, Seinfeld talking with different people about what it is to be a comedian over coffee and sometimes just about random stuff. too. It, it gets a little annoying sometimes when it's too self-congratulatory and it's like yeah, two comedians yeah, yeah. saying, isn't comedy the best thing ever? Yeah, I know. No, they it's always great. do. That. Here's what they always do. They're always like, you know, comedy is like just the hardest thing in the world to do. The public doesn't know. I mean, it's brutal. And they're like, yeah, it's brutal. It's like, there's like one in a million people that can do this job. That's us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they sign autographs or whatever. Yeah, it would be funny if it was tax guys. It's like there's only a few people who know all the loopholes. And they're like, yeah, yeah we can save you billions. <laughs> there's one sh- we should probably lean into the one show um that I, I i would assume you've seen this one because for our listeners, it's like literally the only show that's been created for their niche. Um so not not to like pause on the comedy thing, but have you seen this show Abstract? I've tried and I gave up. Okay, because yeah. Chef's Table basically um, inspired, I don't know if it directly this is, inspired, this but is basically. The exact, it's funny, but this is the exact point. I was having a discussion with some artists and they're like, don't you read art theory? And I was like, <laughs> no, of course not. And I thought, I would rather, if you go to the medium of writing and you can read someone who is so like really uses the medium of language to its fullest potential and every sentence is special and there's yeah. sequencing and the and then you go to art writing and it's people who are not that good at writing and they talk about something that is very abstract and it's just you can't get through it and it's like okay i only have that much hours in the day and i'd rather be reading something amazing than something mediocre okay but you know just for our listeners abstract i if you haven't seen it it's a docu series that's produced it's more by, focused on design than on uh, art i think yeah and I, there's just one point i wanted to make about it and it's funny that you said you couldn't watch it right because a it's by a former wired editor-in-chief this guy uh scott uh Dadich. and so it's like interesting because wired is a technology magazine you're not necessarily a design or art magazine and then what abstract tries to do is it it i mean it, so i wanted to contrast it to chef's table so chef's table just does chefs who run restaurants Abstract tries to do like the world's creative people and or design, quote unquote, and therefore it doesn't do it's like way too broad. Right. So they they have everything from, you know, Oliver Allison to um, Cass Holman or like um, Ian Spalter, who's like the was the chief design officer at Instagram. So you're going from like artist to design, you know, to you know, um, app designer at Instagram or head of design at Instagram and they they don't really manage to tie the t- the two together. And I, I, I like I, my I, my problem is they're they're too different. Like yeah, those two well, roles, I, I you could do a show about each one. It's one of those things where the trailer is more amazing than the actual thing. Yeah, because I remember seeing the Oliver Lyson trailer, and I work a lot with color and perception in my work, but kind of in a cheap way compared to him. It's like oh, just a, a bunch of JavaScript to make some color sensations, and he has like <laughs> million dollar installations. Right. So I remember seeing the trailer, and I'm like. Why am I even trying? This guy's doing it so well. And uh, these, these experiences are so immersive and amazing. Mm-hmm. And then I started watching the documentary. And I, it, it's one of those, I can't describe it, but I just so put off. I'm like, this guy, I, I don't want anything to do with it. I don't want to see it. This is, this is horrible. And it's not, it's not that there's anything wrong with what he's doing, but the documentary just, yeah, no. like I didn't want to be. Do you recognize the feeling? No, yeah, because there's a in season one, there's like a Bjark Engels episode, right, from uh, The Architect. And he is like, I mean, he's clearly a jerk, even though the architecture is incredible. Um, or there's Polisher, again, like from Pentagram, famous designer. And you really want to like it, but you're like, mm, this person's a hack, kind of. Actually, maybe you didn't feel that way with Oliver, but like, and they're not a hack. It's just, no, it's but really that's, hard to that's profile what I mean. this type like I, of person. I'm watching Oliver Lyson, and he's not an asshole. He's not a, and he's he's very knowledgeable, and he's a sensitive yeah. person, and he has sharp yeah. observations. But there was something about it that I just didn't want to look at it. I think it's because, and this is interesting to compare it to the restaurant chef thing, is that they have to hold these people up as heroes, but in design and art, like it's a less heroic. I, I don't know. Maybe the, my argument is that it's maybe it's it's not that they're less heroic, but they're I already portrayed heroically. Point. Yeah, it's it's this, it, and and that's the thing that uh, a lot of these reality shows 
they always have to build this dramatic arc of like there was a struggle and then we persevered <laughs> and it's just so stupid it's yeah so maybe that's where Seinfeld is a little bit better where he's not trying to build up like oh we're going to follow this artist and it was really hard but he persevered and now he's and here. they changed the world yeah. yeah and they're more like yeah we're rich and we're enjoying it and fuck you well it's like they should just show the client meeting and Paul Scher is at the client meeting and the client's like mm, I don't like red <laughs> <laughs> She's like, okay, <laughs> whatever the client says goes. <laughs> um, the next recommendation from me is the the Fire Festival. F-Y-R-E. Oh, I had that on my list. That's our first match. That's our <laughs> yeah. first match. Yeah. The greatest party that never happened. Yeah. It it is in a way. We'll probably look back and like, what was the point of of uh, decadence? Where everything is, <laughs> was too ridiculous, and. Uh, it's, it's also this. about Instagram, really, the, the, yeah. the documentary yeah. and its influence on culture. So, so, so the whole thing was uh, Ja Rule and an entrepreneur were like, we're going to create a music festival where it feels like you're in a hip hop video for, for a weekend or something like that. And so they made a trailer, a sort of YouTube Instagram commercial with models and champagne and yachts. And, uh, and you're like, oh, this can be yours for a $500 ticket or $1,000 ticket. And then within that budget, it wasn't possible to realize. So they just sold out all the tickets. Everybody's like, yeah, I want to be there and live that mm-hmm. life. And then they got there and it was horrible. Yeah. And it was, so it's a really a show about the fear of missing out kind of culture from the FOMO kind of view of Instagram. And I, th- like I think we're going to look the, back at it, this as a very strong uh, icon of that yeah. time. Yeah. 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 So influencer driven Instagram culture went wrong uh, or gone wrong. And I think probably the, Post Fire Festival, you know, the hashtags about you know reality versus fake probably started trending, right? And this like search for authenticity has really like spiked since then. Um, but the, the 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 festival there were two documentaries. I think there was one on Hulu and one on Netflix that came out at the same time. Mm-hmm. But I only watched the one on Netflix. But uh, I guess yeah. if you're really into it, you can watch both and compare. I think, yeah, I watched the Netflix one. And then it inspired my uh, 40th birthday party, which I, I used all the same aesthetic <laughs> uh, for advertising <laughs> and had a had a sort of a disaster of a party. Yeah. And then the um, the, 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 the entrepreneur, the, the scam artist who puts everything together, he is just, if you live in New York, you just see so many, I, I always call him the Soho bro. Mm-hmm. It's just a specific style of haircut and a specific style of, <laughs> yeah. of clothing and body language, and you just, it's like a spoiled kid who then milks everything to take advantage of people. And you, yeah, it's very apparent here. Yeah, I think I used to dress that way. <laughs> <laughs> just um, yeah, it's like you go into a salon; they're going to give you that look. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. But we haven't talked about some of the big, the big ones, like the number one top show streamed in the world. Uh, is Stranger Things? Did you ever? Did you, have you ever watched that? I tried. Uh, Christina loves it, but uh, I, 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 there's something in my brain I just can't do the shows. I don't know why. You can't. Oh, you just can't do series, right? Like you need to do the movie. Twin Peaks thing. is the only exception. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. And something in your mind, maybe like it's just too much of an investment of time. No, it's too obvious. I just every episode is like I know exactly what's going to happen. Oh, the monsters around the corner. Okay, mm-hmm. I know. Oh. Uh, there's one kid who's the nerdiest and he's shy and he's going to be the hero because all the Mm. other ones are too... All these obvious tropes and there's no twist or turn where I'm like... I don't know. And it's very uh, plot-driven. It kind of... That that show was influential, though, in terms of reviving like an 80s kind of aesthetic or, you know, kind of like E.T., Steven Spielberg um, vibes. Yeah, like uh, kids playing a big role in the narrative. Yeah, like why? Why were kids ever removed from uh, from production? You know, like yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but it, you know, going on the flip side, you know, they've Netflix has done a few things where they've taken television series and made it into a movie. Um, last night I was watching El Camino. Have you heard of that? I saw that. It's yeah, like, I'm I'm a fan of Breaking Bad, but El Camino, yeah, it was all right. I don't think uh, I missed I missed uh, Heisenberg or what's his name the oh. Um, Kramer, what's his name? Uh, this <laughs> yeah. is where you realize again the we're amateurs. The chemistry teacher, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. I've, I've been watching Better Call the Saul. Hero. Yeah, but then it's it's kind of I. Uh, once I start watching a show, I feel kind of committed to do it all. Um, but then, oh, Craston is his last name. 
Brian Cranston. Yeah. Cranston. Yeah. But what's his name in the show? Oh, in the show. um, Damn it. (laughs) This is so funny because our listeners are shouting at us. You know the name. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But it reminds me that that, that's like kind of pre-streaming era. And, you know, so, you know, before that, uh, there was Breaking Bad. Before Breaking Bad, there was The Wire. There were these shows that people would stream and binge watch yeah. on, but they would get the that DVDs. Was kinda, that was the torrenting era. I would, I would torrent the stuff. Torrents and DVDs. Like you, yeah. I can remember going and getting all the Wire episodes. and wa- Oh, I was living in Berlin in 2008, and that summer I watched all five seasons of The Wire, and I torrented them. Yeah, yeah. and it was like a golden I did, age I, for me. I did, <laughs> the Wire is an example where you're loyal, and so the first season was all in the hood and with the, their language and their culture, and so you really want to see that. And then the next season was all about the port, and it was more blue-collar, and then you're like, mm-hmm. oh, this is not as interesting. And then the next season was more interesting. And But then this is what I mean with this weird commitment. You're like, oh, I have to finish it. But you, I think mm. Westworld was a good example where a couple of episodes were all right, but mostly it was just, I think, very generic. Mm-hmm. It's back. And, yeah, and, 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 and I remember yeah. finishing it. Like uh, I was at my parents a few years ago watching it, and my mom was looking at it, it's like, why are you watching this? This is, there's no humor in this whatsoever. <laughs> this is so serious. This is not you. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Because, um, you know, one of the things that's also interesting about it is that they do appointment-based viewing, right? So you watch it, like, uh, it'll come out tonight uh, yeah, on yeah, Sunday yeah. night. Yeah. We're recording this on Sunday. Um, and then you could watch it live or you could wait just drops watch it the tomorrow. whole season. Mm-hmm. And obviously yeah. Game of Thrones, we didn't throw out there, but, you know, similarly... HBO kind of has really been committed to, we're not going to let you binge watch this stuff. We're going to do it one, one at a they time. They want the, the event and the afterwards people talk about it. And, and I think you, it just actually helps with subscription dollars. Because one of the problems I've seen with Disney Plus is that like there was that show Mandalorian. They did the same thing. It's over. And there's a back catalog of stuff. But I kind of watched the couple things that I wanted to watch. Um and there's like there's nothing on there really, right? Like if unless you want to watch Frozen again and again. So the only reason I'm <laughs> if still you have subscribing kids, I think <laughs> Disney Plus is really nice because it doesn't have the weird dangerous content that YouTube has. So. No, and I know, and so I think, actually, I think if you the, if you yeah. let a kid just give give them the YouTube ad within five minutes, they're in AI generated content that is <laughs> yeah, subliminal messages, yeah. and like ISIS videos or I don't know what. <laughs> Yeah. So I do have my subscription because I gave it to my my nieces and my yeah. uh, I think my nephews, I think so. you will always uh, rather spend money on other people than on yourself. Just me, or I think that's everyone. Everyone wants to do that. No, I think you in particular. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm surprised you like a few surprises on my side. You didn't bring up like Terrace House, uh, which is a Japanese uh, reality TV show. I tried it. People- yeah. Yeah, you tried because there are some people that are obsessed with that uh, show. It's a Japanese reality TV, bunch of like twenty somethings living in a house together, but total. And then there's like, like a weird television audience that comments on their generic lives. Um, I never could really get into it, despite people like pleading with me, like Jeremy, it's Terrace House, <laughs> it's back, and you're like, oh, I don't get it. But um, I thought with the Japanese connection, you might be into it. But yeah. it's so uneventful. It's almost like as bad as this podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And in that sense, it would make sense. But yeah, it, it, I I still love movies. And then Twin Peaks is on uh, Netflix. Oh, yeah. Probably most people in our audience have seen it. And then two, three years ago, uh, they made the new season of, of Twin Peaks, The Return. And mm-hmm. it's not on any of the streaming services. You have to either buy it on iTunes or subscribe to Showtime, I think, which yeah. I did for that show. And I think Jim Jarmusch called it the the biggest cinematic event of the last two decades. Wow. And, and um, I think uh, there's a Cahiers de Cinema, this French uh, uh, sort of very snobby uh, arts movie publication, art house movie publication that's been around for decades. And they called it the best movie of the decade, even though it's not a movie. Um, hmm. So if you can, if if you like Twin Peaks, one of the great things about it is there's been a lot of revival shows or reboots, and this is like an unsatisfying reboot. The, the whole 
premise of it, you keep wanting to go back to the diner and have the cherry pie with Agent Cooper, and it never gets there. Every, it's a bit about the decline of the U.S. Maybe it's a, a bit too but real. But you can right never. You can't really relive it, right? I mean, the original was made in a certain context. Yeah, and yeah. And so yeah. I think the whole show is about that, that you it, it teases you that it will go back where Cooper is mm. the cool FBI agent who will fix everything. And uh, I'm not going to disclose the plot too much, but it's a lot about that desire of going back to nostalgia and, and uh, not mm-hmm. being able to. I mean, it does remind me, though, that David Lynch hasn't really done anything in the streaming era. Um, well, he did streaming. that. Yeah. And, and what's interesting is it, it seems I was following the rumors before it launched and he was like, yeah, we're going to do it. And then they're like, oh, there's not enough money. We're not going to do it. So I think he, he really hardballed the network. He's like, I want complete creative freedom and I want a big budget. And so it, it feels like the show that he always wanted to make because it's, it's more of the associative stream of conscious, no, mm, no, no words and visuals and uh, spacey. And uh, so I was mm-hmm. really into it. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, because I, I feel like this era is made for like a David Lynch. Like he could go, you know, he yeah. could have like 10 shows right now. He could do his weather show from YouTube. Yeah, there's um, a little short on Netflix with him talking to a monkey. Did you see that? <laughs> no, I didn't see that. Let, let me see. It's funny. The, the monkey is in a in a suit, and he is as well. And it, it's sort of like they're both in the FBI, and it, it's called "What Did Jack Do?" Hmm. Yeah. Now there's like other. Uh, before we tie things up, there are a few streaming services that have like everyone tries is trying to get in on streaming right now. And there's one. Have you? Has Quibi come out yet? Like, there's this new. Oh boy! Um, new streaming service, which is like, like vertical, a, te- yeah, vertical yeah. television, and the, it, the way you're going to watch it is like ten minute serialized segments that are perfect for like while you're on the subway. Um, but they've signed up like major producers uh, to do this stuff, like, and there's advertising for it. Have you had an experience with it yet, or should we talk about this on another Let's episode? Do, I think this episode was mostly Netflix, so maybe the next episode we could do another service. On Quibi, <laughs> but like I, you know, maybe we should watch it so that others don't have to. Uh, but uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, God, um, yeah. yeah, I think. But generally, right now, it, we've probably filled your your minds up with a few good references here. We, there's only one uh, one thing that you should watch, according to both of us, which is the Fire Festival documentary. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we didn't agree on anything else. Yeah. Um, but, but you, yeah, you yeah, like Paul Thomas flavor. Anderson stuff. Yeah, I do. I do yeah. love that those those films, and I could pick a bunch of other films that are um, that are on here. Maybe in the show notes, actually, we could do like well, a, I could do I'm, a top I'm, ten. I'm seeing a few here. If you didn't see her, that might be a good one to watch. And, oh, of course, yeah. Good time, but it's a bit stressful. We talked about Good Time uh, from the director of Uncut Gems. That yeah. I saw that's available on Netflix. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think but, like, I think we, yeah. we we there's we, a couple of good suggestions. I think. Okay. I yeah. I wanted to make sure that we were suggesting things that you know were uh, for me anyway things that I actually did watch, um, even if they're embarrassing. Like you know, um, I like cooking shows. I'm sorry. Like it's the closest thing no, to I, a good. I've, I watch a lot of cooking stuff on uh, YouTube somehow. I find that in the the Netflix format, there's too much around the cooking. I was like, I just okay. want to know the recipe. The, the, I mean, for me, it's the chef's table is the closest thing to a show about art. Uh, so okay. that's why I put it on there. And yeah. I, and, but abstract is like too far from what it is to actually make art. Um, yeah, yeah I, so. I found this, this movie reviewing very interesting because I still have a hard time uh, explaining why things are off-putting or wrong. It's very hard. Critiquing things is very difficult. Like that episode about Oliver Eliasson, I, I mm-hmm. couldn't tell you what I, I really enjoy seeing his exhibitions. If I see there's an exhibition of his, I definitely want to see it. Mm-hmm. And then if he did a talk or an interview, I'm sure I would want to see it. And somehow that little documentary was like, I don't want to be here. Yeah. I mean, also this is like the conversation we've just had is very similar to when you go to a party and inevitably like, you know, what are you watching comes up and then, Someone gives you a recommendation, you go home and you watch it, and you're like, oh, God, I'm not going to be friends with that person. <laughs> <laughs> so, hey, uh, like, <laughs> uh, so we might have alienated our audience today. Yeah. I don't know. But <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, anyway, it was uh, good, to, good to hear uh, what you're watching. Um, 
And please share what you're all watching or what you're experiencing day to day. We'd yeah. love to hear from you. And um, let's keep our minds uh, filled with silly stuff. Yeah, or like caring for others. And I don't know. I'm pretty hopeful. I, I, I did like my last week was my like unhopeful week. And then this week was my hopeful week. Okay. And uh, I'm also like, I'm always hopeful when I hang out with other artists because like the creative energy like seems to be drawn from the hardest experiences. And a friend was sharing with me like, you know, because I, I was talking to some artists and they didn't seem as stressed as I thought they would be. Uh, well, it, there is something with artists that they have a long-term projects. So th- I think that mm-hmm. might be why they're less stressed. Is like they're doing research for a year and a half to do a show. So, uh, well, some artists are super stressed, right? Because they're like, yeah. get, they're either getting kicked out of the country, like a friend of mine's getting kicked out of Germany, or they're like, um, their conferences and performances got canceled, and so. Huge yeah. sympathy to them, but the other the thing that I found that they weren't stressed about, folks I've talked to, is like that they could, you know, they they like they're already in a precarious position, and then they're like, I've had to be creative before, I'll just be creative again, kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and the people that well, seem to if, be the, the, yeah, if you don't own, a, you don't have a pension or an IRA and stocks, you're like, oh yeah, whatever. Yeah, like welcome to my reality. <laughs> so. Yeah. <laughs> Um, anyway, yeah, so the people with most to lose are not artists, I think. Uh, but, uh, you know, I do worry for artists, obviously, because they're always in, they're always trying to figure out um, how to make ends meet day to day. Yeah. Um, but stay well, be safe, um, especially I, if you're I, I in. Did, I, I, as a, I did find that being an artist, that you are in control of coming up with new things to do. So it's not like... Um, yeah, you yeah, you have yeah. a job like, that disappears. It, yeah. Like it, and it's like, oh, that project fell through. Let's come up with a new project. And I feel like in the day to day, I feel best when I'm like, oh, let's focus on this. So right now, I'm focusing on making websites as the, like maybe before mm-hmm. I was maybe more focused on making physical works, and now I'm like, oh, let's focus on websites. And then I feel really good at that moment that I'm making drawings to make a new website that can go out and people can see it. Yeah, and, and so no, I mean I've. Adapting yeah, and then I, and then being productive or proactive, to me that just because uh, I, I don't want to belittle anyone's situation. I know how overwhelming it all is, and uh, I, I feel yeah. overwhelmed too. And I'm like, you just want to go to sleep for a year, and uh, but then when you start doing stuff, uh, at least I feel a lot better. Personally, I feel the same way. So I, I'm I'm leaning into well, I have suddenly there's just like a lot more to. To do people want to talk they want to make things together i'm like getting invited to do like i said internet-based stuff and it feel i feel useful again <laughs> so, <laughs> i don't know like um maybe I, I personally feel like there's going to be a revival of networked culture um and artists that were working with uh, the network or the internet so um i'm hopeful yep. and uh and i know that artists are are like you said adaptable and creative and my whole career was like making something out of nothing so um yep. Make some Winamp skins. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, all right. Well, um, nice to talk to you, Raf. Yeah. All right. Enjoy uh, time with other people. Thank you all. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye. All these models, like, in the Bahamas. The most insane festival the world has ever seen. Island getaway turned disaster. It became very barbaric. Right now, you are the fucking laughing stock of everything. Just wait until you see what you're getting yourselves into. American rapper Ja Rule is in the Bahamas with his business partner. Billy McFarlane. is an amazing entrepreneur. He could convince anyone of pretty much anything. They just bought an island. Pablo Escobar's island. Oh my gosh. We're going to throw a festival, yeah. Within 48 hours, they sold out. These guys are either completely full of shit or they're the smartest guys in the room. We were working.